O God, who wonderfully created and yet more wonderfully restored the dignity of human nature, grant that we may share the divine life of him who humbled him more pronounced, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, uh, than it is today. Because the world has moved on from Christmas. Have you all noticed? It's not Christmas anymore. We're into a whole new year. We're into celebrating other things and selling more stuff because you know, we, need, we need more stuff all the time. And so last Sunday where we were in Charlotte with the kids, we stopped around midnight at uh, Walmart on South Side and I had to get something. So when I went in, what did I see? I saw things for Valentine's Day. Last Sunday, four days after Christmas, the first Sunday of Christmas. And Valentine's Day, the next marketing holiday, is being marketed to us that soon. For many of you, how many of you put your decorations away? How many have taken your tree down? How many of you really are ready, are really ready to move on? Uh, so I'd like to think that I'm holy and I really celebrate these 12 days of Christmas, but our stuff will stay up until we just get around to taking it down. But... Where this comes to be different is our year started, not on January 1st, but our new year started this this year. It started with the first week in December as Advent began. This is when the church calendar begins. And so all of Advent, we're not celebrating Christmas. And I, and I, I know that this, again, is markedly different than the world. So our whole Advent season, all of December, was spent in the expectantly waiting for the Savior, the coming of the Savior. We were remembering His first coming. We were thinking about His second coming. We were concentrating on the fact that it was a penitential season. Our colors were purple up here because it's a penitential season. We were to concentrate on the fact of we are in sin, we have sin, and we need a Savior. And the truth is, if even if you are a saved individual, if you do know Jesus, yes, you still have remaining sin. Some people teach differently on that, which confuses us. And now we think that somehow we're perfect just as Jesus was. Nobody is like Jesus still. When Jesus is your standard, you're not, you're not perfect. You still have remaining sin in you. And it's a thing we battle all of our life until we get into glory. So through Advent, we're thinking on the fact that we need a Savior. And then we're expecting him. So then for us, it was Christmas Eve for the normal calendar. It would be Christmas Day that we celebrate the fact that the Savior has come. Then Christmas begins. And Christmas is not a day, but a season. Christmas is 12 days between December 25th. And this is the 12th day of Christmas. This is the second Sunday of Christmas. It ends tomorrow, which is not always on a Monday, but it's January 6th is when... um, Epiphany is. An epiphany is this bringing of the gospel to the Gentiles represented as the Magi visited the Christ child. Which happened to be a long time later. So when you want accuracy in your little nativity sets, your wise men are supposed to be set far off because they're still on the way. They didn't come. They weren't there at the arrival of the birth. They came later. So this is where we are. We're, at the, we're, we're still in Christmas. We still have the, the wreath. It's Christmas season. We're still, that's why it's white. So, um, and though we, and I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm plenty ready to be done with Christmas carols and such. But yet we're still seeing them here in our service today because that's the way the calendar works. We're celebrating the Christ child. 
So this is what this is what we are still doing today. And and so the lectionary, the the order of readings that are designed to help us through the church calendar is what we've been paying attention to since we began in Advent. And we're still paying attention to that. And next week we're going to quit paying attention to that and we're going to get on back into Luke. So if you've been with us a long time, you recognize we've been in Luke for like well ever. And there is a plan to actually complete it. And we will complete that, uh, Lord willing, uh, by May. Or I think by the end of April. So in order to, and, and in order to get Easter and Easter messages out of Luke, we may be skipping a, a few small passages to get there. But we're going to actually end, but we're going to start again next week back in Luke. And I think we're at the end, very end of chapter 19 next week. Or 20. Somewhere in there. But we'll, we'll worry about that next week. Today, we're in John chapter 1, which I think one of my favorite passages. And it is so rich. There's so much stuff in it. Um, and I, my head has been swimming like, where do I go? What do I say? I want to say like a zillion things to you. And it's been like a whole week or it's been two weeks since I've preached. So then there's that. So I have to kind of hold thoughts somewhat you know, bridle those and kind of like focus. What, what are we going to, what are we going to say out of all the things that we could say about this passage? What are we going to talk about? Because today we still are celebrating that the light has come into the world, into our darkness, and that darkness cannot overcome it. Things this passage says. But our lesson today is that God became human or flesh in order to empower people to become his children. It's a, I, I whittled and whittled and whittled. Our lesson today is that God became human in order to empower people to become his children. So our lesson then is about, still, it's about a zillion things. It's about incarnation. It's about sonship. It's about adoption. It's about the dual nature of Christ. It's about acceptance, love, mercy, goodness, kindness, favor, promises delivered, the Trinity, and the greatest gift of all. And it, given that we're in the first part of the year, perhaps you started your Bible reading plan, perhaps you started in Genesis, perhaps you started in Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning. So when you're familiar with the scriptures, when you read, when John was writing, there's a reflection back to creation, the creation story, the creation narrative. John is talking about a recreation story. This is beautiful. I'd like to say a lot more about that, but we're not going to. We're going to move on. The very next word is was. He's talking about something past tense. Right. But don't be fooled by people showing up on your porch and espousing their Greek. I've had Greek, and I can't even espouse Greek. A little bit of Greek uh, information will help you go a long way wrong. That's one of the things we know. Um, keep that. Just keep that in mind. Tuck that one in the back of your head. And this is a particular verse that gets messed up and confused and actually this whole lesson helps us avoid heresy if we get this right we can avoid heresy if we get it wrong we will be in heresy and to have a right understanding of this it will eliminate um, i think it's like five it's either four or five different heresies that this, the, the people started down these trails and the church gathered and said, we need to bring correction to what you're teaching because what you're teaching is not true. Jesus did not assume a body. No, he was born into a body. And, and, and so on the, the, the whole 
heresy discussion goes. There, there are several of them. It's important we get it right. I'm not going to teach us about heresies today. We're going to move on. One of the things that's important to understand from these very first few words in the very first part of John is that this word, the logos, is distinctly different than the creating part or the, the fatherhood of God. Yet it's one in the same person or one in the same uh, substance. So there's this sameness, yet there's this difference. John's saying this in these words that we just read. This is the beginning instructions of the Trinitarian nature of our Godhead, the three-in-one nature. So he is in the beginning with God, and he was God, is what John's saying. So Jesus is preexistent. He didn't just show up on that December morning that we were all waiting for. He, he was with God the entire time. It's important for us to understand that. And I, I sometimes rattle on about that when we think of the, the, uh, you're, if you're in conversations around the water cooler, sometimes they'll, they'll talk about, people, your opponents will talk about, how old is Christianity after all? There are all kinds of other religions that are far older than Christianity. Christianity after all is only 200 years old, or 2,000 years old. Well, the reality, what we're reading about, is God had a plan, what Sarah read, what Bert read, there's been this plan for thousands of years. Well, like since from the beginning, as God created, we're not, you, the church, are not plan B. You are his plan. You are his bride. You are his people. There's this difference, yet there's this sameness. About ten years ago or so, uh, my dad died ten years in uh, March or April. Um and so it was really about this time, and it may have been in the fall, so about 10 years ago. Dad was on a pulpit search committee for his small country church, and uh, somebody, they were interviewing a candidate, and somebody on the pulpit committee asked this candidate, was Jesus God when he was here on earth? Well, the candidate, being in a Baptist church, Baptist churches are non-creedal, they say. It's not that they don't believe the creeds. It's that they don't recite the creeds. They don't use the creeds. So this man who hung out in, this, in the Baptist churches, my guess is all of his life, I don't really know his story, he didn't know the answer to that because he hadn't had those creeds stuck in his head. Sometimes if you wonder why we say some of these things we say, and we say them every week, and we week after week after week after week, we has been whittled out by those who've gone before us, the forefathers of our faith. We appreciate them. We don't despise them because they're old. We don't think we're better because we're new. We have great reverence. This line from the creed that we will say, he didn't have in his head. It says, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. He was, he was eternally begotten. He was, he was there from all time. That's what we say every week in the creed. Every week when we say the creed, there are some seasons I just don't even have the creed in there, and I, I understand that. But then it says, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. This errant as God's word. And we, and there was a, uh, we had a, we had a, uh, uh, life group study, I don't know, a few months ago, and there was this discussion about whether or not the creeds are God's word, or how is it made up. On our site, on Redeemer's website, I would encourage you to go there. And did you put these on there? Is that what I did? I don't know. We came up with creeds to put on there. And 
I just now recognize that on there, they have proof texts for the statements in the creeds. Did you do that? or I, I didn't think that was there initially. This is pretty awesome. You, you, and he's probably told me about that, but I've totally forgotten it. You can go on Redeemer's website, look for resources, go to the creeds page. You can read the creeds with proof texts. And there's a line that whatever our statement says, then there's a proof text by it, and you can go to the Bible and actually see where that comes from. This is how they came up with the creed. It's not that men just got around and decided, we should say this. Before before, before Nicene Council met, there was no Trinity. Um, yeah, yeah, there was. The Nicene Council met and searched the Scriptures to find what the, what the Scriptures said about the Godhead. And then they formulated it. Thank you, Ryan. Man, I'm glad just to be brought back into the loop and know that I didn't really do that and didn't remember. It's better that I didn't remember you did it. Including the people that are in the world. And he comes into the world, into that creation, in among the people whom he created. And those people did not know him. And that knowing, we think of just an intellectual ascent. We think of a knowledge thing. But... There, there's more to it than that, and like in just just in even our today's world, if we're choosing uh, somebody to be on our church council, one of the questions is harsher than that. It's not that they didn't receive him; they rejected him. And as he came to his own people, the descendants of Israel, they too rejected him. Their forefathers had written about the one to come. Bert read a passage about. A promise that one was going to come. There, the time is ripe. The expectancy of this Savior, of the Messiah, is, is here. There, they know that the Messiah is to come, and they were expecting him. Yet, Jesus comes, the one who created them comes, and they reject him. And actually, John, as well as the New Testament writers, view this rejection, not just of Jesus, but also of Jesus' followers, the new Christians who are believing. And so in this, ta- in this time, there is a very contentious relationship between the Jewish people and the Jewish Christians, or the Christians. It was hostile. Jesus was rejected by his own, but to make us savable, he came to collect a people unto himself, as we have read. All who received him, who believed in his name, and that has to be taken if you just, that this has been taken, to just a sense in which God's the father of everything, father of all things, but that's because he's the creator. And this concept that we're all children of God, and frequently you'll hear this said, well, after all, they're all children of God. You see people going astray, doing the wrong things, and, and Aunt Susie will say, well, but we're all children of God. No, we're not. We are not all children of God. Yes, God created us. Yes, we are created in His image. Yes, through the fall, that image is tarnished, so much so that we cannot choose to come to Him on our own. And so what this is saying is, God is the one who chooses His. He's the one that's in charge. He didn't make us savable. He came to save. This becoming a child of God is God's doing and God alone. 
Some think that because they're in a line of the family that were Christians, I must be a Christian too. It's kind of a checkbox thing. That's, this is saying that's not true. Some say it's because of my efforts and because I'm a good person that I must be all right with God. I follow whatever path I want to follow, but I'm a good person and I try hard. This is saying it's not the will of man. This is saying it's the will of God. The Bible says that you are dead in your trespasses and sins, and it's by God's choosing through sending the Holy Spirit into you that he awakens you and brings you from death to life. That's what this is saying. When he does that, you are brought into the family. Yes, you are saved. But what that means is you are brought into the family and you're seated at the table. You're given a place in his family. You're now no longer a slave to sin. So whatever that term that defines you prior to Christ no longer applies to you. What does apply to you is you are a child of the king. This is how we look at ourselves now. We're part of the family. We belong. Our older brother is Jesus. So this last thing we're going to see is the Christ. Verse 14, which is where we should spend a whole sermon, says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is about God's presence being among His people. This is part of the promise of the covenant where God was saying that I will be your God and you shall be my people. I've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. God rested his presence among his people in the tabernacle. They would set up this tent and God's presence came in such that Moses was not able to minister. The temple was built. God's presence came into the temple. Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord filling the temple. His presence was at the temple. If you wanted to commune with God, you earlier went to the tabernacle. Then you went to the temple. At this point, you come to Jesus. Jesus has come and tabernacled. The, the, the Greek here, that uh, I, I like the translation that he dwelt among us, but it's God pitched his tent among people in the form of Jesus so that he could be around his people. Just as he promised he would. I find this to be uh, helpful in my times of doubt. God did what he said he would do. You may disappoint me. My friends may disappoint me. But God is faithful. I will disappoint you. But God is faithful. This term, this theological term that we're, going to, that, that we're discussing about this word becoming flesh, and we talked about the two natures of Christ a couple of weeks ago, being born of a virgin and having the human nature and the divine nature, and those two were not mixed, and one did not subsume the other, so he was holy God and holy man. This thing of where he left the glories of heaven and came to earth and took on flesh, we call it the incarnation. And the incarnation is this English construct um, out of Latin, which has come to mean God incorporated in flesh. In our Articles of Religion, which can also be accessed on that same webpage, I've put one in your bulletin. You get a few lines for sermon notes, and then there's this article that doesn't say article, but it has in capital letters, it says, "Of of the Word or Son of God, 
which was made very man. These articles can be helpful. It says, The Son, which is the Word of the Father, begotten from everlasting of the Father, the very and eternal God, and of one substance with the Father, took man's nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin, of her substance, so that two whole and perfect natures, that is to say, the Godhead and manhood, were joined together in one person, never to be divided, whereof is one Christ, very God and very man, who truly suffered, was crucified, dead and buried, to reconcile his Father to us and to be a sacrifice, not only for original guilt, but also for actual sins of men. It is terribly lengthy to quote, so I've put it in the, your bulletin for you. I would encourage you to read that from time to time. This, and, and, and this, and I want to recognize and admit, this is not a sermon where you've gotten a list of three things I'm going to do to make my life better this coming year. 2020 is going to be fantastic because of what I learned in church today. 2020 can be fantastic, but it's not going to be on your part. It's going to be just in your, what you're believing what you're applying to your heart. This is not a lesson where it's a to-do list. The list is, and, and we always come back to this, it's a real, really, a, a your application is submission and a dependence on Him. And we need to be called back. This is what the gospel does for us, and this is why we preach it every week. We need to be called back to a point where we're ready and willing to submit. His ways are really better than our ways. So, we celebrate the greatest gift of Christmas, which is Emmanuel, God with us, as we have sung, in the flesh, God in the flesh, in the form of Jesus. Know that he condescended, he left heaven and condescended, he came to be among us, took on flesh to live the life that we could not live, and died the death that we, that only we deserved. All of this so that you may be empowered to become children of God. Pursue this gift. Of all the other gifts, pursue this gift. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.